Well, we sang that hymn as if we meant it. I praise God for that. If you had the opportunity to thank someone who uh, who died for you, would you take it? I would surely hope that you would. Um, that was a very uh, well-chosen hymn for what I want to speak on today, but um, the third line of that hymn, it says, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. And um, if it is well with our soul, then, um, which by the way is our eternal part of us, it is well with your soul, then uh, if it's not so well with your body, it's not such a big deal, right? If it's not so well with your business or with your finances or with your life, in general, the things that are coming your way, maybe the difficulties of your life, whatever that is, if it is well with your soul. You know, I think of the scripture that says that if someone has all of the world's goods and loses his soul, what good is it to him? And so uh, that's the principle, isn't it? So if it is well with your soul then, I think uh, there's, a, there's only one proper response. There's only one reasonable response. And that is throwing your life on the altar and presenting your life as a living sacrifice. It is your only reasonable service, really, to present your life a living sacrifice unto God. I want to lead your thoughts on Thanksgiving. Um, As we celebrate a national day of Thanksgiving this week, I would like to lead your thoughts on Thanksgiving for a little bit this morning. And um, I have titled this morning, this morning's sermon, The Cause of Thanksgiving. The Cause of Thanksgiving. And it's going to be more topical, but it's still in all. I have a few texts of Scripture we'll spend extensive time in. Uh, First off, I want to consider that man in his unredeemed state is indicted in Romans 1. In verse 21, he's indicted this way. 
Let me read. As we consider what our lives are like in an unredeemed state, consider there's a few passages of Scripture that defines us this way. I'll read here in verse 18 of chapter 1, Romans. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile, and their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened, and it goes on as they corrupted themselves. But because they did not know God as they should have, they did not glorify him as who he actually was in verse 21. And they were not thankful for this God who, as James 1.17 tells us, that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above and from the Father of lights, and there is no variation or shadow of turning. And so everything that comes our way All these good gifts, they are from our Heavenly Father. And we're indicted with Romans 1.21. We're indicted with these ungodly people if we are unthankful. In 2 Timothy, we have a similar passage where he says this way. In 2 Timothy 3, as it breaks into this, teaching of false prophets, etc. And how that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, they will be lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. And in this list of catastrophic sins... Blasphemers, disobedience to parents, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of, of pleasure rather than lovers of God. With all those terrible things, there's listed unthankful. We would think that the lack of giving thanks would not be that big of a deal. But because the Scriptures in various places tell us to not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, but to think according to the measure of grace or the measure of faith that was given to us. In another place, why do you boast of things? I think it's in 1 Corinthians 4. Why do you boast of things as if you did not receive them? But everything, in other words, has been given to us. And so if there's any good thing about us, anything that's virtuous or a blessing to others or a blessing to mankind or to uh, your spouse or your, your children, it's because it's been given to you. 
And so if, if there's not a sense of receiving, there can be no thanksgiving, you see. So if there lacks a perception on our part, on my part, of the blessings delivered, how will I ever return thanks to the giver? And I was thinking about what does today's entitlement generation or mentality have in common with the Pharisees? It's unthankful. On the one hand, you have people who are endeavoring to earn something. And so if something comes their way, they think it was earned by them. And then on the other side is this idea that I'm entitled to this because of who I am, so I'm just deserving of it. I'm of such a caliber of person that I should just be given these things. That's the entitlement mentality, and it breeds unthankfulness. And so whether it's a legalistic attitude of earning something from God or from someone else, this is the nature of our depravity, is that... We think we can either earn it or we deserve it. And both of them cause us to be unthankful. Unthankful. But our God is not like that. He is not like that. Brothers and sisters, in Luke 6 and verse 35, it says this way. Let me read this. It says here, but, lo- but love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the unthankful and evil. And so... Truly, truly, we have to agree with that. For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's being kind to the unthankful, isn't it? It is. That's being kind to the unthankful. So the indictment to all of mankind as we consider here at the opening of this these thoughts on thanksgiving is that that is the indictment of who we are as a people. In an unregenerate and unredeemed state is that we're marked by unthankfulness. That's what humanity is marked by. It's not impossible, brothers and sisters, for an unredeemed person to be thankful. We see that. People do. Are thankful for things received. But I think it's impossible for a Christian, for a believer to be unthankful. To be consistently unthankful. 
consistently unthankful. It is very possible for you to go through a period where your troubles loom large and you lose sight of the blessings received. That's very possible. But for you to linger there in a state of unthankfulness, you will be miserable and you will make everyone else miserable. Think here, and we'll, we'll get into this here, but think of the nature of, this, of the congregation and the people that you worship with. What joy wells up within inside of you when you hear another giving thanks to God? Because you recognize He has received the same thing. He was able to apprehend, or rather was apprehended, by the same thing that I was apprehended. And it wells up within us a gratitude to be amongst a people that are thankful. And so this week as we consider Thanksgiving, let's think along these lines a bit. The cause of Thanksgiving. I want to read a little portion of Scripture in Jeremiah 30. Jeremiah 30. I have a few passages in the Old Testament, then we'll come back to the New Testament. Isaiah, I mean, Jeremiah 30, in verse... Maybe I should start back in verse about 15. Jeremiah 30, verse 15. Why do you cry about your affliction? Your sorrow is incurable because of the multitude of your iniquities, because your sins have increased. I have done these things to you. Therefore, all those who devour you shall be devoured, and all your adversaries, every one of them, shall go into captivity. Those who plunder you shall become plunder, and all who prey upon you I will make a prey. For I will restore health to you and heal you of your wounds, says the Lord Because they called you an outcast, saying, This is Zion. No one seeks her. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring back the captivity of Jacob's tents, and have mercy on his dwelling places. The city shall be built upon its own mound, and the palace shall remain according to its own plan. Verse 19, Then out of them, shall proceed thanksgiving and the voice of those who make merry. I will multiply them and they shall not diminish. I will also glorify them and they shall not be small. What a beautiful picture. But listen. It is because of the uh, bringing back of the captivity that when, when these people who were captive were brought forth and brought back and Jacob's tents were delivered from captivity, out of them then, out of these people, proceed thanksgiving. Uh, turn with me to Psalm 126, a very similar thought, Psalm 126. It ties in this idea of 
bringing back their captivity and their thanksgiving. Psalm 126, when the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seeds for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. What a beautiful picture of the captivity being delivered, of the Lord bringing back his people to a place of thanksgiving, to a place of rejoicing, to a place of prosperity. Praise God, we have this attitude that when the Lord delivers us, there is great cause for thanksgiving. Those two are inseparably linked. If there is not rejoicing, if there's not an attitude of gratitude or of thanksgiving, there's a low appreciation for the gospel. A really low appreciation for the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no separation. You can't have a high view of the gospel and a lack of thanksgiving. You can't have a high or a, if you have a low esteem for thanksgiving, you have a low view of the gospel. Because if it is well with your soul, and you understand that, there's great cause for rejoicing. In Isaiah 57, you don't have to turn there, but Isaiah 57, in verse 19, he says this way. He says, I create the fruit of the lips. That's amazing. Peace, peace to him who is far off and to him who is near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. But he says, I create the fruit of the lips. I believe it simply is saying there that if thanksgiving is welling out of your mouth, if it's coming off of your lips, and if it's being articulated by you, it's because the Lord created it in you. And that there's a, a, the Lord has done something inside of us, and out of that flows our thanksgiving. And so we would do well then to study what He has done for us. And so if we do that every Lord's Day like we do, remember the Lord Jesus. And by the way, the Eucharist is, I believe it's the, the Greek word for thanksgiving and so it's this idea of the eucharist what we celebrate every lord's day morning is cause for thanksgiving i create the fruit of the lips he says was it not jonah himself who was still in the belly of the whale by the way and there were seaweeds wrapped around his head but he said i will sacrifice to the lord with the lips of thanksgiving, I think it is. 
because he is my salvation. He was not yet delivered out of the mouth of the whale or out of the belly of the whale. Let's go back to the New Testament. I want to spend some time in 2 Corinthians as we think about this cause, the cause of thanksgiving. 2 Corinthians 4. And I I struggle with how much um, of this passage in 2 Corinthians 4 I was going to read because there's another passage in 2 Corinthians 9 I want to read. But I think I should begin in verse 6 of 2 Corinthians 4 and just follow me here. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now that's a little bit hard to get your head around. But God shown, God shown into our hearts to reveal to us that His glory resides in the person of Jesus Christ, in the face of Jesus Christ, that all of the glory of God resides in the person of Jesus Christ, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now God has shown that into our hearts to to reveal that to us. Notice verse 7. But we have this treasure, this revelation of the glory of God in Jesus Christ. We have this treasure, we hold this treasure in an earthen vessel. We're encompassed about, well, I'm getting ahead of myself, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. So God intentionally gives this treasure of the divine revelation of the person of Jesus Christ into an earthen vessel so that we don't glory in the vessel, so that we don't glory in, in us, but rather that The power, the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, you see. We are encompassed about with trials and temptations. We are in a situation that is pressing in. But we're not crushed. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Why? Because inside of us resides this treasure. We have the revelation that Jesus Christ is the most precious thing possible for us to have. When you have that, you see, you can go through these hard-pressing situations. You can go through, you can be perplexed, but not in despair. You can be persecuted, you see, but you're not forsaken. Why are you not forsaken in persecution? Everyone else is, is for, has forsaken you. That's basically what persecution means, is that you're, you're picked out to be persecuted. But who has not forsaken you? None other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? So you're persecuted, but you're not forsaken. Struck down. Listen, the Christian life is many times being struck down. Many times to be struck down. 
but not destroyed. Not destroyed, always caring about in the body. I think what Paul is saying that in the body of the believers, in all these hard-pressed situations, we are always caring about in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. And that life, by the way, brothers and sisters, is demonstrated in the fact that though you are hard-pressed, you are not crushed. See, you have the hard-pressed, that's the dying of the Lord Jesus. Then you have the not perplexed. That's the life of the Lord Jesus. And you carry it about in this same earthen vessel. We have this treasure in an earthen vessel. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Okay. What good is the testimony of your faith and your ability to stay strong if there's no adversity? You see, if there's no adversity, no one values your faith. No one values your testimony if you've never been tried. But if you've gone through the fire and you've come out rejoicing on the other side, now you've got now you've got some clout so to speak, you see. Now you've got a testimony. We're hard-pressed, but we're not, we're not in despair. Okay? For we who live, that is the believers, are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. That the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. You say, the trials that come our way, we are called to this place of of being delivered to death for Jesus' sake. That the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then, death is working in us, but life in you. And I think what he is simply saying, Paul is simply saying, we are caring about in our body this great treasure of who Jesus Christ is. This understanding of of the glory of the gospel. And as we go about and we're sharing this, we are now revealing this to you. We are being persecuted. But that persecution is for your life, you see. It is to bear fruit in your life. It is to bring life to you. So then death is working in the preachers of the gospel, so to speak. But it bears fruit in the life of the listeners. That's how I understand this passage. It's somewhat difficult, but, but the, the point is the people of God are pressed about. They have a treasure, but that treasure shines forth as, as, the, as the pressure comes in. And it reveals the truth of the value of what they have, you see. Praise God. So then death is working in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak. Now, this is a reference to Psalm 116, where the writer is... You know, he's going through a hard time, and I'm not going to go back there, but you can if you want later. Psalm 116, basically the the author of the psalm is saying, I have hope in God. 
Therefore, I believe. Paul is now saying, I have that same attitude of faith, and therefore I speak. He is aligning himself with Psalm 116 and the writer who is speaking by faith. Paul is saying, and since we have that same attitude of faith, not the, not the Holy Spirit of faith, but the attitude of faith, and since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believe and therefore I spoke. We also believe, you see, and speak. Well, are we? Do we believe? Are we speaking forth the, the grandeur of what we have inside of us? This, earthen, this treasure in earthen vessel. Knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus, okay, now here's that, that spirit of faith, this attitude of faith. Knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also do the same for us. That is why we speak about the treasure we have in the face of Jesus Christ. Who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. Paul is saying at some point, the one who raised Jesus from the dead is also going to raise us up together. Both the one who is proclaiming it and the one who are, who are receiving the message. We're all going to be raised up together with the Lord, with the same, by the same one who raised up the Lord Jesus. Now listen. Verse 15. For all things are for your sakes. Isn't that amazing when Paul says that to his listeners? Everything that is about me, I am doing it for your sakes. Having for your sakes that grace, that the gospel fruit may spread through the many. And here's where my title came from. May cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Brothers and sisters, what is the cause of thanksgiving? It's none other than grace. None other than grace. It says it right here. For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread throughout, having permeated the whole loaf, that it may, it, it may rise it may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. There's the reason for grace. You know, sometimes we think that grace is all about salvation of man. But sometimes, and it is true, it is for the salvation of man, but it is ultimately for the glory of God. That out of your saved life, there's a thanksgiving toward God. And out of that thanksgiving toward God, God is glorified. If, uh, you, you see how terrible unthankfulness is. We owe it to God. And there's a shortage of the glory of God if we are not being thankful. I... I or God, there's no shortage in the glory of God. There's, we are not glorifying God as we should if we're unthankful. For all things are for your sakes that grace having spread through the many may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. And think about this. What is Paul's attitude here? It is 
basically the attitude is, I do not resent this pressing in. I do not resent this persecution. I do not resent this crushing or this, yes, persecution, this being struck down because it's good for you and it ultimately will bring glory to God. What an attitude that is. That Paul's ministry was motivated by the thanksgiving of those who are blessed by his ministry. And this fits right in with the understanding that your gift is another man's grace. Have you ever considered that? What you can do that would cause thanksgiving to rise up from your neighbor. God's grace has hands and feet. And we are called, as 1 Peter 4, I think, says, that the manifold grace of God, that many variated, variegated grace of God be ministered to one another. And the motivation is not that you praise me, but that God is thanked through the grace that, you, that is received through the ministry of one another. That should motivate us. If you love God, then love your brother, because that brother is now going to give thanks to God for you. And God is ultimately glorified. Paul's attitude toward the hardships of his ministry were, it's, to, it's amazing to me, it's a re- It's a rebuke to me that we would lament the hardness of our labors for God. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 9. Now here it's a very practical word. 2 Corinthians 9, it's a very practical word. It's it's couched in the context of, of um, of an offering that was raised up out of the Corinthian church. Um, let me see. That's the context. It's, it goes all the way back into verse in chapter 8. And it speaks about it in the first part of chapter 9. Is where Paul wanted the Corinthians to take up an offering for the Judean church. And... Here he comes now to verse 6 of, of, of 2 Corinthians 9. That's the context. And Paul is giving this exhortation in 2 Corinthians 6 through verse 15 in the context of asking the mass, of, of, of having this offering raised up for the Judean brothers. But, but this I say, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you towards you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, May have all may have an abundance for every good work. I would like to point out this superlatives here in this verse. 
Okay, look at verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for a few good works. No, for every good work. Isn't that just, God is able to do that for us. As it is written, He has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now may He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Verse 11. While you are enriched in everything, for what purpose? To lay it back? To hoard it? To glory in it? No. You are enriched, while you are enriched in everything, for all liberality. That you are enriched for the blessing of giving it away. To be liberal. What does it mean to be liberal? We have this negative connotation to that word nowadays. Let's take it back. Let's be liberal in our approach to others, in our ministry, in our service to others. Take the attitude of Paul. I want to be liberal in my time. I give to the church. In my blessings, I bless my brother with. Let's be liberal. You are actually, according to this, enriched for that very purpose. As it is written in verse 9, He has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor His righteousness endures forever. He supplies the seed. He enriches us for all liberality, which causes what? Thanksgiving through us to God. What is the cause of thanksgiving? It's God's liberality to us. He gives us richly. And then out of that, we give to others. And the others who are poor and broken down with whatever needs they might have, as we minister and our liberality extends to them, it causes thanksgiving through us. We are the cause of thanksgiving to others, you see. Our God's riches flowing through us causes thanksgiving to God. What is the cause of thanksgiving? If it's not God's grace and God's liberality and God's riches poured into our lives, and then we extend to turn that around and give it to others, and thanksgiving rises. For the administration, notice verse 12 of 2 Corinthians 9, for the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints. See, it's like God is killing two birds with one stone here. There's a need of the saints. Not only does it supply that need, he says, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. While through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God. For the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ. See, the gospel of Christ 
is the riches of God's grace poured into our lives. And now, out of the riches of God's gospel poured into our life, we're pouring back out. We're ministering back out. We're turning it back out. And for your liberal sharing with them and all men, let me read verse 13 again. While through the proof of this ministry they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. And by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. What do you think that is? We know what that is. We know who that is. The indescribable gift of the Lord Jesus Christ extended to us that we may have eternal life. Paul is teaching this in, in the framework of this indescribable gift of God to us. And now we are liberal in our gifts to others. And those liberal gifts to others rise up in thanksgiving to God. So I, I, I think what I'm, I'm not just teaching about thanksgiving to God, but our part in the thanksgiving of another to God, you see. We are actually the hands and feet that, bring, that cause others to give thanks to God. You know, we might think that our lives are just to glorify God directly, but sometimes it's indirectly that you are laboring and ministering and giving and sharing in a ministry to others and in their prayer life. They may just simply thank God for you. Think about that. When your name comes off the lips of another and comes up as, as a fragrant offering to God, do not think that you will not be rewarded for that. What a beautiful picture of our role in the thanksgiving that God receives. Well, I want to turn back. Um, Let me consider... This passage in Hosea. Yes, Hosea 14. Let's let's look at Hosea 14. Okay, I kind of want to, as we move through the indictment, of general mankind and its unthankfulness to the cause of thanksgiving. We also kind of have here now the command to give thanks. And we know, I mean, I, I had to just simply choose my passages. It's full of the exhortation and the directive to give thanks. Hosea 14 in verse 1, O Israel, return to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Now verse 2 is what I wanted. 
If Israel is to return to God, what should they bring? Verse 2, take words with you. That's what it says. O Israel, return to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity. Receive us graciously, for we will offer the sacrifices of our lips. Assyria will not save us. We will not ride on horses. Nor will we say anymore to the work of our hands, You are our gods, for in you the fatherless find mercy. And then he says, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned away from him. And I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall grow like the lily and lengthen his roots like Lebanon. His branches shall spread. His beauty shall be like an olive tree and his fragrance like Lebanon. And it goes on. This glory that he will give back to them. Psalm 50. I like Psalm 50. And what the Lord says there to us. Psalm 50. Just breaking in here in Psalm 50. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. This is verse 7, Psalm 50. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, and I will testify against you. I am God, your God. I will not rebuke you for your sacrifices or your burnt offerings, which are continually before me. I will not take a bull from your house, nor goats out of your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine. Why would I need your little goat? For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. Isn't that a beautiful picture of the sufficiency of the Lord, that He doesn't need me? Okay? Do we understand that? We need Him. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you, for the world is mine and all its fullness. Will I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? No, here is what I want you to offer to me. Offer to God thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. If you return to the Lord, bring words with you. That's what the Lord wants. He wants you to acknowledge what you've received from Him. He doesn't want you to boast on how well you've served Him. No. If you've done everything that you know that you should, the Lord commands us to say, we are yet unprofitable servants. You know what that means? It means that His investment in us is not paying off. We're unprofitable. We are still unprofitable. (laughs) But yet he pours his love into us. What thanksgiving should well up in our hearts for this great God? I want to close in Hebrews. 
So this is more of a topical approach to this topic. But I want to close here in Hebrews 13, in verse, beginning in verse 8. Just listen again. Make the connection between the sacrifice of Christ and the response of those who receive that sacrifice. Remember, he has brought back the captivity of Jacob. And what that did, they were as those who dream. Hebrews 13 and verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Okay. He's immutable. He's unchangeable. Will never cease to be who he is. Never. Therefore, don't be carried about by various and strange doctrines. Do not be carried about, verse 9, with various and strange doctrines and teachings. For it is good that the heart be established by what? Grace. Not with foods which have not profited those who have occupied who have been occupied with them. You know, you can be distracted by a lot of things. And here they were distracted. The Hebrews were distracted by foods. It wasn't profitable for them. But grace is what establishes the heart. And then out of that grace, as we've already said, it's the cause of thanksgiving. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. You know, if you're clinging to the old Mosaic covenant and law, you have no right to eat of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priests for sin, they're burned outside the camp. Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore... Let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Isn't this a beautiful passage of Scripture? Jesus Christ the same today, yesterday, and forever. And out of that flows a sacrifice of praise to God. You know, it is a struggle, brothers and sisters, to have this mentality of praise. I I surely... I'm speaking to people who have the same struggles I do. The culture, the busyness of our lives, the conflicts that we encounter, they tend to rob us of our perspective. And that perspective of what we have received by the gospel of Jesus Christ is wherein lies our praise. It's why we must remember week by week the Eucharist. 
that thanksgiving to God. And praise is a sacrifice. Praise is a sacrifice. I would just love to exhort here that you might go six days in the week and you work hard at providing for your family, building your business, etc., etc. Representing Christ even in the community, in your lives, in the circle, in the sphere that you represent. And sometimes by Saturday night, we're tired and we forget to prepare our sacrifice for Sunday morning. Do we realize that sometimes our praise needs a little study time? Sometimes you need to prepare your sacrifice. And when we come to the Lord's house, we pour this as an incense offering to the Lord, and it raises up a beautiful, fragrant sacrifice to God. But it's simply you exercising your understanding and perception of the blessings received. When you read these things, and you understand the gospel, and you meditate on that, and you contemplate that you have eternal life because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, how can you not rejoice when you come and take of the bread and the cup that represents that? But sometimes we neglect to prepare our sacrifice. Brothers and sisters, let's consider that, that, that it is a sacrifice. That you must maybe lay aside the Saturday night football game, so that you can prepare your heart, you see, to sacrifice an offering of praise, to bring an offering of thanksgiving to the Lord. Therefore, by Him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips. Notice, it is not the fruit of our hands. Here, it is the fruit of our lips. It is simply acknowledging, testifying of what Christ has done for us. And it's bringing praise to Him for blessings received. But sometimes we must recount the blessings in order for us to testify of them. Giving thanks to His name. Well, thank, thank you, brothers and sisters, for, for listening, for considering the cause of thanksgiving. Wherein lies the root of our thanksgiving. It is none other than the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is none other than the grace of God. It is none other, maybe, even, than your labors and your blessing to your brothers or sisters. It may as well be, it could be that that causes thanksgiving to raise to God. And so let us consider these things this week and always as we celebrate um, a national day set aside for thanksgiving. Truly, truly we have reason to give thanks. Well, um, let's, let's pray and then we'll be 
will be dismissed. Heavenly Father, indeed we desire to repent from our lack of thanksgiving. We desire to humble ourselves and acknowledge the blessings received. Help us to take these considerations into our heart and meditate on them. And and this week, as we reflect on thanksgiving, may our thanksgivings be pointed towards you, and may may they also bless and edify our brothers and sisters. Dear Lord, we just ask that you would go with us and keep us for your own purpose and glory. Through Christ we pray. Amen.